Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast and joining me following his all-star weekend tanning sessions, I think, is the host of the Locked on Rockets podcast, Jackson Gatlin. Great to have you back, Jackson. Tanning sessions. Am I looking a little? Am I looking a little tan in this in this new video format here, Robert? If if so, then uh, that's that's better than my usual uh, pasty skin complexion. So I'll take that as a compliment. Don't you go to Cancun if you're not going to the All Star Game? Isn't that the All Star Weekend protocol? Hey hey hey! The the Rockets had some representation at All Star Weekend. They didn't have any reps in the All Star Game, but they were well represented overall at All Star Weekend. Now whether or not they actually you know, whether or not things panned out there, that's a whole different story, but there were a lot of rockets there. So, yeah, I didn't mean to take a shot at the rockets. Uh, I, I was just saying the guys that weren't the rockets in the uh, all-star weekend may have gone. Oh there. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and I, I just got up from a nap is, is James Harden demanded a trade from the all 75 team yet. I don't know, man. You know, it's uh, it, r- rumor has it. He's got some, uh, he's disgruntled with some of the teammates on there. Uh, definitely thinks that, uh, maybe the work ethic of Michael Jordan isn't up to snuff, uh, you know, just things like that. So it, it's probably coming down the pipeline here shortly. Yeah, I could see all that. And a uh, quick reminder also for anyone listening to the podcast that you can also watch our conversation on YouTube and Jackson, there are so many directions we can go with the rocket season so far, but I mostly want to focus on the two most important pieces of this rebuild at the moment. And my most important pieces, number one, Jalen Green, number two, the Rockets first round pick this year. And I'm going to start with Jalen. First things first, what do you think of what you've seen from him so far? And has your personal expectations of his potential changed at all at this point? Honestly, Robert, you know, I think coming in, you know, myself and many other Rockets fans included kind of maybe talked ourselves into the fact that Jalen Green was one of the more NBA ready prospects coming into this NBA season. And I don't necessarily think that was wrong. I just think that you come away from where we're at, you know, two thirds of the way into the season and Jalen Green hasn't really exactly risen to so many of the expectations placed on him by Rockets fans. Now, whether or not those expectations are fair or not is, you know, could be an entirely different discussion, but coming in, you know, one of the takeaways, at least for me personally, and potentially many others, right, was coming to the draft thinking, okay, Jalen Green is going to be like a quicker, more NBA ready prospect because he's already a bona fide, like alpha level score. He's going to come in, he's going to have no issue scoring and adjusting to the speed and the pace of the NBA game. He's got that. Yeah, he's got to fill out a little bit more, but presumably he was the mo- one of, if not the most NBA ready prospect of the top four, top five in the NBA draft. And some of, you know, the, the fact that he played in the G league and all that played against actual, you know, adult competition instead of other college kids was maybe a feather in, in, in the cap in his favor, that kind of thing. But ultimately as we progress through the season, that hasn't really been the case. We've seen obviously Cade Cunningham who got off to a slow start as well has really started to kind of come into his own as a player, Evan Mobley, that was the big debate back during the draft, right? It was Evan Mobley versus Jalen Green. And Evan Mobley was supposed to be a pro, like a guy that was going to take a little bit longer to get used to the NBA game, right? He's a big, it was going to take him longer to get acclimated to the NBA style. His body wasn't supposed to be ready right out of the gate to bang with some of the other big bodied NBA players at his position at power forward or at center. And so far it's like the inverse has happened, right? Where 
Evan Mobley was the more NBA-ready prospect and has been really, really impressive this year with very few dips in his overall game and in his overall production, whereas Jalen Green has had some rough patches where the adjustment period for him hasn't been nearly as seamless. And I don't think that's necessarily an indictment on Jalen Green. I think that the Rockets have been tasked and Steven Silas has been tasked with managing a lot of different variables this season. And some of those are outside of his control. And, and namely, right, the, the main variables I want to point out here are Eric Gordon and Christian Wood being kind of the veterans in the lineup and kind of potentially being, you know, maybe ahead in the pecking order in Steven Silas's free-flowing offense. And so Jalen Green doesn't necessarily want to step on the toes of the two vets on the floor in front of him. And then also Kevin Porter Jr.'s development. Now, I think of those two kind of variables there with the first one and, and then the second one being KPJ's development, I think the Rockets were absolutely right to prioritize KPJ's development because I think you look at where KPJ has gotten to this season, what he looks like now compared to the beginning of the season, where he's at as a shooter, how comfortable and confident he looks with the basketball steering the Rockets offense. They made a bet. They, they kind of you know took a risk on investing so heavily in KPJ, even if it meant that it might be stunting the development, even if, ever just so slightly, of Jalen Green by not necessarily featuring him or spotlighting him as the number two overall pick. So far, that's that, that risk has panned out with KPJ, and hopefully it continues to pan out throughout the rest of the season and in the future past that. But then the other two guys, Eric Gordon, Christian Wood, I do think that's a bit more on Silas's part where he needs to empower Jalen Green to be the guy on the floor, to, to not be afraid to step on the toes of the other veterans that are in the starting lineup with him because at times you do see Jalen kind of hesitant to, you know, take command of the basketball or to, you know, go after his own shots. I think that was what was so unique about this past All-Star weekend is in the Rising Stars game, we saw Jalen playing with a bunch of other guys his age, right? Rookies and sophomores. And he went out there and absolutely did his thing and was dominant. He had easily the most impressive individual performance of any of the performances across the three rising stars games that we saw. And I think a big part of that was because he was allowed to just go out there and be himself. He didn't have to worry about, you know, the, the egos that he's competing with on the floor. He didn't have to worry about offending a veteran on the roster. He didn't have to worry about the, the team dynamics at play. He just went out there and he was hooping and it looked incredible. And he was, you know, he flashed every ounce of talent that we thought that he would be flashing on a nightly basis coming into the season. So I do think part of it falls on Steven Silas where we, where we're at with Jalen Green right now. I think too much blame is being thrown on Steven Silas, though, because I do think part of it also falls on Jalen. Jalen needs to realize that he is the number two overall pick. He is, you know, the future franchise cornerstone of this Houston Rockets organization. It does, it's not Christian Wood, it's not Eric Gordon. Hell, it's not even KPJ, really. It's Jalen Green. And I do think part of him at times is a little tentative. I'm not going to say he's not confident because Jalen Green does not lack for confidence whatsoever. It's just a little bit tentative at times where he's you know, more willing to, oh, okay, you know, I tried to break this guy down off the dribble. It's not quite there. Let me kick it out, swing it to the next guy, right? And once you've made the decision to swing the ball to the next guy, like it's not their job to then try and break somebody down and swing it back to you so you can get a shot. Like if you have a chance to make something happen and you don't make it happen on an individual possession and you swing it to the next guy, they're going to try and make something happen. And that's kind of the structure of Steven Silas's offense, which is why we see so many times Jalen, Eric, Christian, KPJ, they all wind up with roughly around the same shot totals, and there's not that clear pecking order or hierarchy in the Rockets offense. And at times, that's frustrating for Rockets fans to see because they want to see Jalen Green get 15, 20 shot attempts every single game, every single night. 
And again, I do think part of it's on Silas, and I do think part of that's on Jalen as well. And part of that's on the other guys on the floor. It's a it's a very nuanced situation, and it's not clearly black and white. Like, it's all Silas's fault, or it's all Jalen's fault, or any of these things. It's a little bit of everything all at play. Yeah, you answered a lot of stuff on Jalen and, and Silas and what he's kind of done with Jalen to this point. But uh, one of the things that I just thought about is when you get the second pick in the draft, your hope is to get a potential future top 10 caliber player. Maybe LeBron or Durant is too much to ask, but, you know, maybe Ja Morant or Trey Young because, you know, Jalen's working at a size disadvantage and it's really tough to become a top 10 caliber player. If you're six foot four, you don't have the wingspan, you don't have maybe the bulk of, of that type of player. And maybe it's too early to assess, but can Jalen get there? Because those t- top 10 caliber guys, they can drop teams to 50 wins like we saw James Harden and Akeem Olajuwon do. Is it realistic with Jalen? And besides points, because you can't just do it with points, what gets him there? What's the other skills that he can develop that would get him to that point? You know, I think that Jalen has a sky high ceiling, and that's one of the reasons the Rockets were so high on him is that, right, you look around at the the guys who were at the top of this last draft, and Evan Mobley also has an an extraordinarily high ceiling, but at the same time, his Evan Mobley's floor is also significantly higher. So like the distance between where his floor is and where his ceiling is, is a lot like a lot smaller, I should say, compared to Jalen Green, whereas Jalen Green's floor might be significantly lower, but I think his his true ceiling might be equivalent or potentially even that, you know, slightly higher than Evan Mobley's because we live in a, a guard driven league guards run the NBA and maybe things are trending a bit back towards the big man. We see some dominant big men in today's game. There's a bunch of bigs getting ready to come out in this next NBA draft. So maybe we're at the turning of the tide in the NBA where we see a resurgence of NBA bigs and bigs who can you know be versatile and do so many different things on the floor. But with Jalen specifically, Right, he's already an alpha level scorer. Can score at all three levels. Needs to polish his inside game a little bit. Needs to become a bit, a bit better of a finisher because I think for so long he's relied on just his sheer athleticism to be able to finish in and around the hoop. And now he's kind of dealing with other NBA caliber defenders that are, you know, on an equivalent level playing field as him. And so some of his shots get blocked or contested at the rim more than they have in the past. So he can't just rely on his sheer athleticism. He needs to start getting better with some creative finishes, using the rim to shield him at, at, you know, going, finishing on the other side of the hoop, different things like that, as well as sourcing out contact so that he can get to the free throw line and get some easy points that way. But the other areas of Jalen Green's game that we've seen development, we've seen progress in is one, he came into the NBA and he was like first handful of games. He, he showed and flashed his playmaking ability. And that's only gotten better as the season has moved along. We've seen Jalen with the ball in his hands. He's at this point, I feel like he's a very underrated playmaker, even by Rockets fans, because when you put him in the pick and roll, he knows how to navigate that. And it's only going to get better as he realizes how to leverage his scoring gravity to be able to create for his teammates. That's exactly what we see the top 10, you know, the top 10, top 15 guys in the NBA do is they are guys who are a threat to score the basketball. And then they utilize their scoring gravity to be able to create for others, right? You can go down the entire list of guys who average insane points and who also average a ton of assists every night. And you just go down, I mean, go Harden, LeBron, Jokic, John Morant. I mean, just, just keep going down the list. Trey Young, right? the, The list is endless for guys who have realized how to leverage their ability as a scoring threat to create 
for their teammates and to make life easier for their teammates. We've seen Jalen start to do that. We've seen him become a better decision maker on a nightly basis. And so I think that's an area that he's definitely improved in as the season has gone along. And then the other side of it is his defense, right? You look at a player who maybe has all the offensive tools in the world, but if they're a net negative or even potentially just a neutral on the defensive end, then you're kind of like, okay, yeah, we've got it. We've got to build around you. We've got to, we've got to hide you on the defensive end of the floor, things like that. But Jalen is a guy who has improved drastically on the defensive side of the ball from where he was to start the season to where he is now. It is a world of difference defensively for him. He is learning defensive concepts. And the thing is, when you've got a guy like Jalen Green, who is so gifted physically, right, with the with the physical attributes that he has, the, the speed, the athleticism, all of that, he's going to be a good NBA defender as long as he puts his mind towards it. And this kid constantly talks about wanting to be a good defender. It's not, And it's not one of those like, you know, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll work on my defense because I, I know tonight I was bad and, and I need to be better. It's a, hey, I want to be a top defender. I want to be an all-NBA caliber, caliber defender. I want to be a two-way guy. I want to be somebody that impacts the game on both ends. And these are quotes that we hear out of him repeatedly over and over and over, sometimes even unprompted. In the midst of Jalen's, like, shooting slump in the middle of January, he had a point where he brought up the fact that he is trying to figure out ways to impact the game besides his scoring, right? Where he impacts it via his playmaking or via his defense. And those are exa- that's exactly the type of mentality that you want out of a future franchise cornerstone because he's somebody that with his work ethic is going to be able to set the table for you know the entire team. But I guess my concern is when I look at Jalen, it's going to be very, it's a super uphill battle. It's going to be super hard for him to get to above average defender without the wingspan, without, you know, he doesn't have Eric Gordon's chest. He doesn't have the lower body, the the thighs of somebody that can really hold somebody like a, say a Drew Holiday or something like that. I don't know what the recipe is. I don't know what the guy in the NBA where I see, oh, that's Jalen's body. And that's how, you know, he can get there uh, being a, a really good defensive player. I mean, if he's lucky, I feel like, you know, Steph has become, an average defender. And, and, and that's where I feel like maybe Jalen ends up because this is somebody who looks a lot like Bradley Beal or Zach Levine, who's just somebody that's potentially just a below average defender at best. You know, I, I think that a lot of defense is just is just effort at the end of the day, even even if you don't have necessarily the the physical tools like again, the the mass to go against some of the bigger bodies of the NBA, Jalen will at least be an adequate guard level defender, if not a plus level defender after another two, you know couple years at the NBA level, as long as he keeps the mentality of wanting to work hard on that side of the floor and become a good defender. Yeah, he may not he might not ever have the tools to be you know, a lockdown all NBA defender who can guard, you know, one through four, one through five, because he just doesn't have the physical size and strength to guard some bigger players, but he definitely has the speed and the explosiveness and the athleticism to guard, you know, quick twitchy perimeter players to guard ones and twos. And at the end of the day, you know, maybe that's all he needs to be able to do to be considered a, maybe not a premier defender, but as to me, as long as your franchise cornerstone, who's going to be carrying, assuming carrying a significant portion of the offensive load for years to come, as long as he can be a, you know, not a negative defensively. And at times, if he can even be a positive on the defensive end, that's an absolute win in my book. I also, at the end of the day, 
he's listed in some places as six, four, he's listed other places as like six, six when he was playing in summer league and standing next to Cade Cunningham, they looked roughly the same height and Cade is listed as like six, 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 seven. So I, I really don't know what to make of his actual height and, and build. And I know that he's got kind of, again, a very wiry frame right now, but he's going to add mass to that frame. Like I, and I don't know how much he'll be able to add, but at the end of the day, you know, it's not like we see a ton of, NBA level guards banging down low, playing like that old school bully ball style basketball. Like, you know, I look around the league and there's very few guards that play, you know, a similar brand of basketball to what like Eric Gordon does on a nightly basis, basis, right. And super stocky built, you know, guard who's just going to bounce guys off of him left and right. And even then, I do think there is something to be said for Jalen's ability, hopefully down the line to be able to contain some of the faster, more explosive guards, because that's exactly what his toolkit is. So again, as long as he works on those guiding defensive principles, which he has, Steven Silas has remarked consistently about his growth defensively, the ability that he has now to navigate pick and roll coverages, how he's able to fight over and through screens, how he shrinks to make himself smaller, to be able to get around screens and be able to really chase guys defensively. The fact that in practice, he understands he goes over the film. He knows exactly where he's supposed to be. And I think that's a big part of, of a lot of this, not just for Jalen, but for, for Alper and Shingun, for Josh Christopher, for all the young guys on this roster, even for the sophomores at times, for KJ Martin and Jay Sean Tate, is so many of these guys just haven't seen a lot of these NBA concepts because they haven't been exposed to them consistently over the course of their careers. They're all so young at this point. And so giving these guys a little bit more time, more reps, more time in the film room, more practices, all of that, they're only going to continue to get better. And I do think that is another kind of area where Steven Silas deserves some credit is the fact that every player has gotten better last season under his tenure. Every player has gotten better this season. Maybe it just doesn't match, you know, the exceedingly high demands of Rockets fans uh, of where they'd like to see guys like Jalen and Al PB at this point in the season. But I do think you have to look top to bottom of this roster and guys have gotten better across the board. Your typical top 10 caliber player, at least a really good star on your team. The number one guy has that alpha leadership quality. Do you get the sense from watching Jalen, listening to his interviews, how he comports himself, and just kind of his presence, that the potential for that is there. And I ask that because in a lot of ways, he seems like a quiet guy. And the one thing that is killing this Rockets team, you know, along with, you know, just the youth is the fact that there isn't an alpha guy. There isn't that leader on this team, even from a veteran like Christian Wood or Eric Gordon. Do you see that at all from Jalen? I think that's easily one of the, you know, intangibles that, the Rockets kind of build Jalen is having coming out of the draft. And even if he right now at times does seem to be a, a bit of a, a quieter guy, maybe a bit soft-spoken at times, you know, you see him in his, you know, practice availabilities, post-game interviews, that kind of thing. He doesn't lack for the the confidence in, you know, when he's interacting with his teammates and when he's sharing the floor with him. I do think there are some question marks about, just the inner workings and the inner team dynamics with, again, some of the variables at play that I listed out earlier between Christian Wood and Eric Gordon and, and, and situations like that. But I think if we're looking at, you know, can Jalen become that alpha leader mentality? I think he's absolutely got the mentality and the ability to get there. And he's got the skills to eventually back up that mentality because you're right, you have some guys who embody like the, the heart and soul leadership mentality of a team and but they don't necessarily have the skills to back it up and be like the best player on the team. Now, I'm not saying Jalen Green has to become the heart and soul of the Rockets. Oftentimes we see, right, a team dynamic has like the alpha of the team and then the heart and soul of the team are like two separate entities, right? Like we can go to 
uh, the Houston Rockets of old, and we can go to the 2016-2017 team where James Harden was very clearly the alpha, the number one guy, and like Pat Bev was the heart and soul of that Rockets team, or the you know current dynasty Warriors where Steph Curry is very much the alpha, or KD was the alpha, but Draymond Green is the heart and soul. He's the engine that keeps that team running. So Jalen, I think, absolutely has the tools to be the alpha on this team down the line, and I think we'll probably see a step from him this next year. This could just be me being cautiously optimistic, but I think to last season with Kevin Porter Jr. and just how quiet and reserved he seemed last year, especially in the midst of joining the Rockets midseason, going down to the Vipers, kind of proving himself down there, being tossed into the fire with the Rockets team, playing alongside John Wall, all of that. He was very quiet and very measured in how he approached and discussed things with the media, and we didn't get a whole lot of him during that last one-third, two-fifths of the season, whatever. And then coming into this year, I remember hearing him talk at Rockets Media Day, and I was like, this is a completely different human being. Like, who is this? Right? Who is this Kevin Porter Jr.? He's suddenly – he's comfortable in his own skin. He's, uh, he's you know, answering questions thoroughly and in-depth, and he's being you know, incredibly insightful. And it really – I think it just took that acclimation period for him to kind of get used to what this situation was going to be like in Houston. And, and he grew a lot over this past offseason coming into this year. And I think we're going to see a jump from Jalen Green. We got to remember he he just turned 20. He's basically a kid. He's just, you know, been he's been 19 for his entire NBA career up until a, a week or two ago and just turned 20 years old. I don't remember what I was doing at 20, Robert, or 19. I don't know if you remember what you were doing, but I was definitely, if you stuck me in front of a microphone in front of thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people and expected me to like put out like a coherent thought and, you know, not until like, ex, you know, be expected to like lead a team or prove that I'm the franchise cornerstone. I, I don't know. I feel like there'd be a lot of questions surrounding that. Right. So I think above all else, something that Jalen needs is just patience from Rockets fans, because I think a lot of the skills are there. I think a lot of the tools are there for him to become a premier player in this league. And apart from like a very small sample size of a, of, of a bad, like three, four game stretch in the middle of January, Jalen's numbers have been largely impressive since he came back from his hamstring injury, right? So he came back and I mean, he had a stretch of games just before his shooting slump where he was averaging what is it just under 17 points a game on a little over 40% shooting from the floor, 35% from three, not amazing efficiency, but the numbers were certainly there. And then after the three game slump that he had in the middle of January, he started averaging just under 16 points a game. The, the field goal percentage is still not quite where you want it. 44%. He does miss a lot of gimmies kind of around the rim. And that's something that I already highlighted. He needs to get better at, but the three point shooting has been drastically better. He's shooting just under 38% from behind the arc. And I believe over both of those stretches, when you factor them all together, his true shooting is somewhere around like 56%, give or take ballpark. So that's pretty solid numbers. You know, all things considered, it's just that one little dip in the middle of January that had everybody, you know, running around with their hair on fire, freaking out, you know, thinking he was a bust hitting the panic button and all of that and it was largely overblown all right you you say it was just it's been one little dip but just uh for reference point and and we're gonna see what you think of this but I, I was listening to one of the most respected guys for me on the locked on podcast network chad ford love his draft content by the way but chad mentioned last week that jalen was the most inefficient player in the nba so far and that's according to 538's raptor rating and just for a little reference the top five most efficient Jokic, Curry, Jason Tatum, Van Vliet, and Giannis. Do you put much stock in that rating? 
I think that it's really tough when you're a rookie. Like, I'm sorry, you know, it's, he's still adjusting to the NBA game. I already highlighted the fact that one of the reasons his efficiency is, is so rough around the edges is because he hasn't been converting at the rim. It's not, and it's not for lack of trying. He's been getting there, but he has to polish his game as a finisher around the rim, right? We see him drive a lot and he gets blocked or he rushes a finish, right? Where he gets to the glass before his defender is there. He's got his defender on his hip, but he hasn't learned quite how to, right? How to use his body to kind of seal them off on his hip or like shield them away from the basketball. And so he like rushes these shots up off the rim. And, you know, sometimes it seems like there's almost no touch on him and he just completely you know, right off the backboard doesn't even draw iron. One thing that he hasn't done for me, uh, sorry to interrupt you there, but no, one good. thing that he hasn't done for me uh, as much as I would like to see is John Morant's got a great floater and I haven't even seen Jalen incorporate that in his game. And when you're Jalen size, you're not going to go dunk on everybody as much as you think you can in high school or in a smaller level. It's the NBA. You're going to have to develop a short game. Now, it doesn't always have to be a 10 footer. It can be that floater. And, and he just hasn't done it at all. Absolutely. No, I, I gr- agree with you 110% there. You know, I, I do think that in the G League, too, we saw Jalen have this kind of patented step back and we've seen him utilize it very infrequently at the NBA level. We've seen him hit some step back threes, sometimes out of necessity with like the shot clock winding down. Obviously he had the huge one like earlier in the season against the Lakers in the game that the Rockets almost won off the KPJ three pointer. He had that one, you know, the one, the pair of threes late, but one of them being the step back against Anthony Davis, which had Rockets fans, you know, on cloud nine, all of that, but he hasn't utilized that step back in the mid range. I think at all. I think he might, he's might maybe attempted like two of them all season long where he's driven towards the baseline, created separation from his defender, got into that mid range, 15, 18 footer and done his step back, his signature step back. What I thought was going to be kind of his signature move coming into the NBA. And we haven't seen a lot of that. And a big reason for that is the Rockets five out spacing doesn't, often at times allow for him to have the space, the the driving lanes to be able to kind of go baseline and, and, you know, get that space from his defender because there's oftentimes a Rockets player occupying the strong side corner and they don't run a lot of like, you know, empty actions on the strong side. So Jalen doesn't get the opportunity to kind of, you know, ISO his man on the strong side wing with nobody there in the strong side corner. So he doesn't really get those chances in that regard. They have had some opportunities where he's, you know, had that empty corner and he's driven straight to the rim where we've seen that where he explodes right past the defender because there's nobody kind of clogging that corner. So I think part of it is Jalen has gotten away from at least that mid-range step back, which he was utilizing as a mid-range tool, albeit it's not a floater, but it's an ability to create something in the mid-range when they're overplaying your three ball and when they're packing the paint, you need something in that mid-range. And we saw this exact, you know, debacle with James Harden a few years back in it became readily apparent in that series against the Spurs that the Rockets lost in six, where the Spurs were dropping their bigs on every pick and roll. They were overplaying the perimeter and James Harden had no counter for that because he had no mid range game to go to. And he, he was allergic to shooting mid range shots at that point because he'd been so heavily indoctrinated into the three and D style by the Rockets front office and Daryl Morey. He just refused to shoot anything else. So then that following summer, James Harden went out, came back the next season and he came back with a floater out of nowhere. He just added a beautiful floater to his game. And then he tormented the jazz with it in back-to-back seasons, you know, completely nullifying any effort Rudy Gobert had of, of isolate or of, you know, destroying James Harden's hopes and dreams at the rim. Harden would just pull up with the floater, you know, five, 10 feet away from the hoop every single time. 
So yeah, Jalen needs to add something like that to his game because of his size, because of the ability that he has to beat guys off the dribble and not necessarily have to go all the way to the rim to finish you know, in the land of the Giants. He absolutely needs to add that. And I'm sure that'll be something that he works on this upcoming summer, but we've got to still remember it's just his rookie year, right? This summer from his rookie to sophomore campaign is going to be so big for him. That's where a lot of you know, high caliber young prospects really take a leap is from their rookie to sophomore year. And then from their sophomore year to their junior year in the NBA, you see them co- go out. And if they take their off season seriously, they're going to add to their game. They're going to shore up some of the areas that were a little rough around the edges in their rookie campaign. And from what we know about Jalen green, the fact that he's a total film buff, he's constantly in the film room. He's constantly working out, constantly trying to improve upon his game. I have zero doubts about the fact that he's not going to sit down and realize, okay, this is something that I need to add to my repertoire so that I can be more effective than I have been. I think the most underrated part of this shortened off season, Jackson also was the fact that he couldn't lift and build up and get under the rockets for a longer stretch like you normally would in a full off season. And a rookie coming in needs that time maybe to get into the weight room with the Rockets strength staff and improve there. Absolutely. No, again, there's so there's so many different things that this uh, again, I, I think that so much of this has been, I think, overblown to the point where it, it is a lot of you know, there was a, there was an expectation, maybe a sense of, uh, of need for, you know, instant gratification with Jalen green, thinking he was going to come in and score, you know, 20 plus a night and do it with ease and look like, you know, a premier shooting guard right out of the gate. And I think Rockets fans kind of set themselves up myself included for a little bit of disappointment with how high the bar was set for Jalen green. And again, maybe things would look different if KPJ was just, you know, Thanos snapped out of existence and they didn't have to balance him learning and, and, and allocating minutes and the resources to him as the point guard. If Jalen just had the ball in his hands for half the game every single night and was getting 20 plus shot up shot attempts a night. And maybe the Rockets are still getting blown out by 20, 30 points, but Jalen's averaging 25 a game and he's getting up 20 plus shots and Rockets fans are like head over heels in love. Cause that's what it seems like most of them want. Maybe that situation looks a little bit different with Jalen. Maybe the, you know, the opinions on him look a little bit different, but I think a big part of that is again, people aren't factoring in all the other things that this Rockets team are trying to accomplish within just this one calendar season. And ultimately the views, you know, the impression from the Rockets front office, right. Is that Jalen is going to be successful. They are so high on him. They, you know, had no doubts about who they wanted to take when they landed the number two overall pick at the top of the draft. They wanted Jalen green. He was their guy. And I think at this point, right, they had more questions about Kevin Porter Jr. And there was kind of a a, a more so of a quick timeline with Kevin Porter Jr. where you had to figure out what you had with him, right? You had to figure out if he was worth keeping long term. Now, at this point, I don't necessarily think that the Rockets are going to turn around and issue an extension to KPJ this offseason. He's shown a lot of improvement and he's shown the ability, I think, to be trusted to at least continue to be the point guard for this Houston Rockets team, barring any, you know, catastrophic setbacks over the final one third of this season. I think he's very clearly going to be the point guard for this team for the foreseeable future. But he's also a guy that you probably feel pretty safe about letting hit restricted free agency next summer. And if a team walks along and tries to throw the bag at KPJ and say, oh, well, you know what, he's worth $20 million a year, $25 million a year. The only reason somebody's going to throw that money at him is because he's actually putting out the production that warrants that money. 
And at that point, the Rockets would probably feel pretty safe about just matching any and all offers that come their way and retaining Kevin Porter Jr.'s services. But they had to utilize this year, which it's just unfortunate that also simultaneously happened to be Jalen Green's rookie season to see what they had with Kevin Porter Jr. They got a taste of it last season, but they were also still, you know, they still had John Wall in the lineup for a stretch of those games. They didn't really get to see what they had with Kevin Porter Jr., So they did it this year, and I do think that at least potentially for this final third of the season, we're going to hopefully see Jalen Green start to become a bit more you know, of, of the spotlight or a bit more of the highlight in the Rockets offense. At least that's my optimistic hope under Steven Silas, because we kind of see what they have with, with Kevin Porter Jr. Right. There's, there's no need for further experimentation there. Just keep being consistent with what you've got. KPJ keep setting your teammates up. And if anything, the addition of Dennis Schroeder is going to help KPJ figure out how he can be more effective in setting up Jalen green, finding areas for him to be successful because largely the Rockets haven't had another point guard that really, you know, acts, you know, accentuates Jalen Green's style of play the way that Dennis Schroeder does. The way that Dennis Schroeder is able to get out in transition and really find some easy opportunities for everybody on the roster, namely Jalen Green, that's going to do wonders over this last third of the season. And for Kevin Porter Jr. to play alongside that and see that in real time take place on the floor. That's going to do wonders for him and his pairing with Jalen Green in the backcourt and how good those guys are going to look over the rest of this season. Let's move to the second biggest piece to the rebuild, this upcoming first-round pick. The Rockets currently seem to sit fairly comfortably with the third-worst record, and unfortunately that means the odds of a top-four pick only 52%, not much better than a coin flip. But I believe you and about every draft pundit sees this as a top-four heavy draft with Paolo, Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, and Jaden Ivey. Who would you like to see? Who would Jackson Gatlin, draft expert, like to see wearing a Rocket uniform from one to four if you could put them in order of preference? You know, at this point, if I – pardon me. If – um. You know, if the Rockets are, are have the number one overall pick, I, you know, I think right now where I firmly stand is – Jabari Smith Jr. I I really I'm blown away by what he I think will be able to bring to the table for an NBA level team. And if I'm if I'm going to order them before I get into the details, I mean, I would probably go right now. Jabari Smith Jr. (sighs) Chet Holmgren, Jaden Ivey. And then I'm actually lowest right now on Paolo Bancaro because I think he might be the most NBA ready prospect of the of the top four. And he might be the guy with, you know, the lowest floor or sorry, highest floor, I should say. But I also don't think he necessarily has the highest potential ceiling. And my biggest thing is, right, the draft at the end of the day is kind of a crapshoot anyways. So you got to swing for the fences. You got to swing for the star, shoot for the stars, if you will, because like you said earlier, right, the draft is where you hope to come away with a guy who can potentially be a top 10 or a top 15 NBA talent one day. So you have to go for the guy who you think has the most upside, the highest potential, all of that. While also potentially, you know, factoring in a little bit, I I do try to stay away from trying to factor in fit with guys who are currently on the team, because until you know that guys are like cemented in and you're like, okay, yeah, this guy is permanent. He's going to be here for a long time. He is a mainstay of what an organization is trying to accomplish until you have that locked in set in stone. I don't think you can realistically go into the draft and say, oh, well, we've got to draft this guy because we already have a player at this position who provides X, Y, Z, and this guy would be complimentary to him. That said, I do like the potential fit 
between Alper and Shingun, if he really is the center of the future, and a Jabari Smith Jr. type slotting in at the four next to LP and what that could potentially look like in a rocket system where you've got Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, Jay Shantae, Jabari Smith Jr., and Alper and Shingun in a five-man lineup where, yeah, KPJ is still the point guard, but he's also a dynamic scoring guard, kind of more of a combo guard than a traditional point guard, and you're able to kind of run the offense through Alper and Shingun is kind of the fulcrum for the Rockets offense with all that shooting, all that athleticism around him, and just kind of seeing where that could potentially take you. Obviously, there's question marks about what happens with Christian Wood and all that stuff, but Jabari Smith Jr. is the guy that I'm firmly sitting on right now as my number one guy at the top of my draft board. I've compared him to, I think, like a solid NBA comp for him is kind of Chris Middleton-esque, which I feel like if you were to tell somebody, oh, yeah, like, you have the number one overall pick and you can walk away with Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton is a damn good NBA player, but he's also not like a sexy household name. So I feel like a lot of fans would be really depressed. The idea of walking away with Chris Middleton as the number one overall pick, because they want a guy like a LeBron or a KD or, you know, somebody with, you know, some gravitas to their, to their game, to their name. But a guy like Chris Middleton who provides the shooting that he does, a guy who is the closer in a lineup that features, Giannis and Tedekumpo, like that is an impressive caliber of player. And to be able to put that in, to be able to kind of throw that, that level of shooting in it, plus the defense that Jabari Smith Jr. would provide next to Alperin Shingun, to put that into this current Rockets young core, I would be extremely excited to see what that, you know, young group of guys could potentially accomplish one day. So that's kind of where I come away from. I'm by no means a draft expert. I've done, you know, some research coming into it and I'll, I'll be, you know, beefing up the research as we get closer and closer to the NBA draft, but from the top four, those are kind of the order that I would put them in. Yeah. I got so much I can go with what you said, but instead I really want to ask this super difficult question, I think. And it's would you give up a couple of major Rockets assets to move into the top four if the Rockets weren't there, if they didn't get a top four in the lottery, like say a 26 or 27 Nets pick or next year's first round pick, or maybe even Shane Goon plus one or two of those assets. And I know Rockets Twitter died inside when I said Shane Goon, but I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> well, I don't think there's anybody that's untouchable on this current Rockets roster I think Jalen Green and Alper and Shingun are probably as close to untouchable as you get just because the organization is so incredibly high on them. I'd probably also throw Josh Christopher into that mix. Um, not necessarily on the same tier as, as obviously Jalen and Alpi as far as being untouchable. Cause even then I don't think those guys are untouchable. Like if, if somebody comes up with a Godfather offer, then you're going to at least potentially listen, but they're not going to actively look to move those guys. Even if it means moving up in this draft. Now I will say there's an interesting scenario where there's one guy, there's one name that is really interesting to me and that's AJ Griffin. And I do think that he's kind of cemented himself at this point on an island by himself at the number five spot on a lot of people's big boards, right? There's like that top four, solidified top four, top four draft, what have you. But AJ Griffin to me is the guy that could potentially leapfrog and maybe be like this year's, I don't know, Scotty Barnes, like the guy who could jump in to the top four randomly, depending on, you know, which team is really, really high on what he brings to the table. But if he doesn't, and if there's an opportunity there, you know, and I don't know who has what picks off the top of my head besides, you know, the picks that the Rockets are currently sitting on. But if there's an opportunity for the Rockets to potentially trade down out of, say, the top four and, you know, pick up 
you know, fifth or sixth or whatever and pick up AJ Griffin and then another prospect somewhere in the nine, 10, you know, late lottery range, then I think that becomes a really enticing possibility because there's an, you know some other talents in the lottery that you could potentially look at a little bit further down the board. The one guy that I'm really curious to see where he ultimately lands is Jalen Duran because I do have my questions about Alper and Shingun being you know a, a defender at the NBA level you know and just being able to anchor a team's defense truly as the five on the floor. And if you were to potentially put a rim running big next to him, especially if Alp is going to get and develop a three point shot. That's going to become consistent where he's, you know, consistently 35% plus, then you could very easily run him next to another, you know, quote unquote, non-shooter like a Jalen Duran, somebody who's going to be able to anchor the defense truly. And then potentially, I mean, if you're talking about picking up an AJ Griffin and a Jalen Duran, rather than one of the top four guys and trotting out like a lineup down the line of, Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, A.J. Griffin, Alperin, Shingun, and Jalen Duran. That's another really exciting possibility. Uh, it kind of kind of sucks to shove Jay Sean Tate to the bench in that lineup, but I kind of think you almost have to if you have that much uh, potential on the floor. I, I guess I, I disagree with kind of where you're coming from and your philosophy, and maybe a lot of Rockets fans' philosophies would, would be the same on this. But to me, like I look at these guys in this draft, and you've got to get size in the NBA. I mean, find the champion team that didn't have somebody with size that was really, really good. One of the better players in the NBA. And you've got three guys with great potential, with great size, and Paolo and Chet and Jabari. And you don't get this close to a top three, top four pick very often. So if you're, to me, if you're not in the top four, I'm willing to give up. I don't know where that Brooklyn pick or any of those Brooklyn picks are going to be the 26 or the 27 Nets pick. I don't know where I'm going to be next year. You know, I want to take that chance now because I really look at these three bigs as guys that can really push you way ahead of your timeline. And you get a chance with the capability of getting somebody that might be that top 10 guy might be the next person that you can put next to Jalen green. And you've got your one, two, and, you know, I'm not big into, well, let me get two lesser guys when I can get a better guy. Like Shane Goon, nice guy, but is there any guarantee? I mean, if we're betting on this, is there any guarantee that he's anywhere close to top 10? And I think of a Daryl Morey and his philosophy is you always aim for that guy that's the better player than, you know, settling, well, we're going to get two guys that are 20 to 30 or two guys that are 20 to 40 you try to aim – the goal is to get as many good players and to, to up that level as much as possible. And again, it really just comes away on what the draft profile looks like. Again, A.J. Griffin, that's why I said he is a really intriguing prospect just because I do think that he has kind of some of that borderline, like top-level talent. You know, I, I likened him the other day on Locked on Rockets to like Jimmy Butler with a shot. Like that's – I mean, Jimmy Butler with an outside shot is arguably – with a consistent outside shot, I should say, is arguably a top 10 player. And so I do think there's there's levels to it, right? And at the end of the day, the draft is kind of a crapshoot, right? Sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. Obviously, those three names that you mentioned right at the top, as long, uh, along with you know, Jaden Ivey as well, you know, those are kind of the consensus top four for a reason, sure. But if there's something that, you know, 
information that the Rockets front office and scouting and draft department have on where they're at with AJ Griffin, potentially, right? I'm just saying it's something that's in the cards and not, you know, an opportunity that I wouldn't just completely turn my nose up at. But again, I'm still firmly like, I would love to see Jabari Smith Jr. in a Rockets jersey. Chet Holmgren is another really interesting guy. I think that, you know, yeah, there's maybe some question marks about what would happen down, you know, long-term between Chet and Al P on the same team. But like you said, you you cultivate and gather as much top in talent as possible. And then you figure it all out later, right? Because worst case scenario comes, you flip one of them for something else better down the line, right? If they're both, you know, incredibly talented individuals and one of them is slightly better, but they both can't coexist on the floor at the same time, or they're both playing the same position, then you take one of them, you flip them for an asset that you don't currently have on the team, right? You flip them to fill a gap somewhere else on the roster, which is why also when I was talking about potentially taking Jaden Ivey or, or putting Jaden Ivey higher on my board than Paolo Bencaro, some Rockets fans were like, but why? You've got Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. on your roster already. And I'm like, yeah, but if you think Jaden Ivey's the better talent, you take him if he's the better talent. You figure it out later. And then maybe he winds up being better than one of Kevin Porter Jr. or Jalen Green. And then you just figure out, you rehome one of the other guys. I know Rockets fans don't exactly want to hear that because there's a lot of emotional attachment and investment in Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green at this point. But you take the best player available and you figure out the fit, you know, another day. So I'm I'm right there with you. I think that this is a very big, you know, kind of turning point in the Rockets franchise, what decision they make at the top of this draft. Obviously, last draft and what they made, the decision that they made going number two with Jalen Green was also a big decision and a fork in the road where they could have gone Evan Mobley or they could have, you know, come out of left field and gone Jalen Suggs or Scotty Barnes or whatever. They went Jalen Green. So, and I think maybe some of the calculus involved in that was the fact that so many of the top prospects in this upcoming draft were big men, right? So they were looking around and they're like, you know what, we're probably going to be, you know, a bottom five team again. Let's just, you know, let's hedge our bets here. Let's get the best guard that we can out of this, this, you know, previous draft. We'll get Jalen Green and then we'll figure out our big man situation when it comes down the line next season. And we'll have our, you know, hopefully our pick between Jabari Smith Jr., Chet Holmgren and Paolo Bancaro. Yeah, let's get to those problems and <laughs> right. Those are those are good problems to have, right? Those are not bad problems to have. It, it, like at the end of the day, I would love for the Rockets to walk away with the number one or number two overall pick again, just so we can go back to the good old days of just arguing incessantly on Twitter about which direction they should go with their pick because the buildup and the lead up to the NBA draft was honestly such a chaotic time on you know social media and in the Twitter space for Rockets fans. But at the same time, it was really enjoyable seeing all the arguments and opinions from both sides. It did get kind of overplayed at times, but I really do appreciate you know the people who are willing to go to bat for their top pick and for their guy and for the guy that they think should be you know the future of the franchise and the the you know the way that the organization should invest their assets or should invest their their draft capital and I'm excited to see that again you know it'll be really heartbreaking if the Rockets do fall down to like four or five and we don't get to have that happen again where we get to have all the debate and all the fun of which direction they're going to go with the top pick. Last thing I wanted to throw out there is my thoughts on fan favorite Jay Sean Tate. And again, I'm, I'm going to step into it again with uh, after Shangoon, but he, he's 26 years old. He's a terrible shooter. I, I have an extremely hard time seeing a path for him to even being mediocre at it at the age of 26. And it's not like, you know, shooting is not something he should have been, shouldn't have been working on in the last few years. If you're building a championship team in this era, you can't have him on the floor in the playoffs as a starter or a heavy minute player, in my opinion. And at the risk of alienating 85% of the Rockets fan base, would you, Jackson Gatlin, consider trading him this offseason 
in a Gordon or Christian Wood package, if you could sweeten the return, maybe get a young player along with the pick because he'd be a valued bench player on the type of team you'd be trading Gordon or Wood to. Possibly, like, I'm, but I'm not going to go out there and start shopping him is the problem. I think he is a really important kind of like, maybe not stopgap, but kind of bridge on this Rockets team between some of the vets and between the younger guys. And I do think that he has a place and the Rockets view him as having a place on this team and in this organization moving forward, despite his age, right? Yeah, he's a sophomore, you know, classified as a sophomore, but he is 26 years old. He does have the shooting woes, unfortunately. And that's been my biggest thing for him because he does so many other things at such an elite level, the playmaking, the defense, the ability to create for, for himself on drives, all of that. He does so flawlessly, but then you come to the shooting and we've kind of start to see that rear its ugly head in recent games where other teams are just completely ignoring him as a non-shooter on the perimeter. And that's really hard to have in your starting lineup, unless your name is Draymond Green and you're surrounded by two of the greatest shooters of all time. So while I don't think it's impossible for Jay Sean Tate and for everything that he does bring to the table to flourish as an NBA starter, I do think he is an NBA caliber starter for all the things that he does bring to the floor. You just have to be able to put the right guys around him. And it's a very special circumstance to be able to negate that level of non-shooting at the NBA level. Can the Rockets ultimately do that with him in their starting lineup? A lot of question marks surrounding that. But if KPJ can be a consistently above 38% three-point shooter. If Jalen Green can hover around 37, 38% consistently, if he can keep that number ticking or trending upwards moving forward in his career, if the Rockets add more shooting at the four and the five, if Al P, you know, rounds out and turns out and turns into a 35% plus shooter, to me, I think NBA teams can get away with having one non-shooter in the lineup at a time. And one of the reasons the Rockets lineup this year looked so flawed is because they did at times run two non-shooters in Daniel Tice and Jay Sean Tate. And that's when the spacing issues really started to rear their ugly head. Or even at times with Jay Sean Tate and Alper and Shingun, it's not as flawed with those two guys on the floor because LP and Jay Sean can both make plays off the dribble and create for others. But at times we do see defenses leaving them wide open. And when those guys are being forced to take those three-point shots, if they're not converting them at a decent clip, then that's a win for the opposing team. So would I include Jay Sean Tate in a trade to sweeten a deal? Absolutely, but it depends on the trade package. Ultimately, I'd rather keep him because he is the absolute epitome of a culture guy, of somebody you want to keep around these young guys, even though he himself is sort of a young guy. He's also had a non-traditional path to make it to the NBA. He's had to work relentlessly to get to where he is in that type of mentality, that type of work ethic, and that type of person, the, the guy, just the guy that Jay Sean Tate is is exactly who you want to have in the corner of these young guys. He's the, Even if he doesn't necessarily always have a starting spot on this Rockets team moving forward, even if he gets moved to a bench role a year or two from now, just because it just fits better and having him come off the bench and be a, a second unit playmaker or that hustle energy guy off the bench, even if that's the role for him down the line, I'd rather see him stay. Now, if you're coming at me with a really, really enticing offer of like a young, talented player with a sky-high potential or a ton of future draft capital – then I wouldn't turn my nose up at it, but I'm also not going to sit here and actively try and shop Jay Sean Tate just to offload one of Eric Gordon or Christian Wood or add you know a random future first-round draft pick to a deal for one of those guys. It would have to be something really good for me to part ways with him because, again, I do think he is absolutely a championship-caliber player and the type of player you want to have on a championship team despite the lack of shooting because that's just how good he is at everything else he does on the floor.
I guess a lot of people out there might be thinking, oh, there's Draymond Green. You know, he can't shoot. But I just, I'm sorry, I don't think of Jay Sean in the caliber defensively of one of the greatest defensive players of all time. I don't think of him as the passer that Draymond Green is. He's just not in that category. And to me, the final five guys on the floor, you, you need five shooters out there unless it's Draymond Green or somebody that's just so in- exceptional that you can afford to have that not be, you know, have somebody like that out there and, and, and all of that. No, I mean, again, it's, is it a, is it a stretch to compare Jay Shantae to Draymond Green? Yeah, probably. Absolutely. Draymond is an all time, you know, historically great player. That said, there are comparisons in their game. And while I do think that Draymond is the better playmaker and the better defender of the two to say that Jay Shantae is miles behind him as a playmaker, or as a defender, you know, not really. I think that Draymond's role is also completely different. If we were to see Jay Sean Tate airdropped onto the Golden State Warriors and said, hey, do what Draymond does for us, he probably wouldn't have quite the same defensive impact because he doesn't have the ridiculous wingspan that Draymond Green does, and he doesn't have quite the uh, – Draymond does have a bit more size than he does to, to bang with some of the bigger bigs, and he's just – again, he's a world-class defender. He reads things before they even happen defensively. And Jay Shantae's an incredible defender, yeah, but he's not the year-in, year-out DPOY-level defender that Draymond is. But playmaking-wise, I think Jay Shantae's got some incredible court vision, and if you were to put – Jay Shantae in a situation where he was allowed to be essentially the point forward a la Draymond Green, he could rack up some of the same types of assists and, and, and read and make plays for his teammates the same way that Draymond Green does. So I think largely it's based on kind of the situations that those players find themselves in. I also think that Jay Sean Tate has a more natural inclination to be able to score the basketball because he's got an array of post moves that Draymond Green wishes he had. Now, does that give Jay Sean Tate the edge over Draymond Green? Absolutely not. Does it give him a slightly different wrinkle in his game and how he could potentially impact a team and be one of the five guys that's closing out a game on the floor? Absolutely, because he's not a complete black hole offensively at times like Draymond Green is. I mean, Draymond will pull the open shot, but Draymond's also not that much better, not that much of a better three-point shooter than Jay Sean Tate is. And teams are largely okay when Draymond Green pulls the trigger on a three-point shot. That said, you know, he's not also going to be the guy to drive it in and posterize somebody and get, you know, a, a left-handed scoop shot right at the rim. He gets a lot of his drives off of, you know, deceptive fakes and dribble handoffs and, you know, catching opposing bigs off guard or at times even in transition, whereas Jay Sean Tate can actively work and create his own shot, which by extension means he's creating shots for his teammates. So, again, I, I don't want to go back and forth on comparing those two guys. It's just the most it's the most apt comparison when you look at a way that a non-shooter can still impact the game defensively, offensively with playmaking, all of that. And maybe the Rockets do find themselves in a position where they have enough shooting on the floor in and around Jay Sean Tate to negate his level of non-shooting and allow him to play a style that more, you know, accentuates what he does excel at, or maybe they don't, and maybe they move him to a bench role. But again, I wouldn't actively shop him, but I wouldn't be opposed to including him in a trade deal either. And please, Jay Sean, stop taking some of these unnecessary fouls, especially the, the ones uh, uh, fa- preventing a fast break or something, because we need you out there on the floor more, more uh, towards the end of the games what do you got going on with locked on rockets this week just some you know all-star week stuff we've got a round table actually coming out with all of the uh the tankers is what we're calling them the teams at the bottom of their respective conferences so that'll be really cool just kind of touching base on all the franchises that are at the bottom of the standings figuring out where they stand all that good stuff uh we'll also be having uh, some more draft content coming out this week. We're going to be taking a look at the uh, the G League prospects coming around the corner. Uh, we got to see a couple of those guys, Hardy, uh, Bochamp in the uh, 
in the Rising Stars game, a couple of those names. Uh, we'll take a look at them uh, with Nathan Fogg. We've been running that series for a while now, just looking at some draft content. So just the usual grinding it out over at Locked on Rockets um, five days a week. So at JT Gatlin on Twitter, at Locked on Rockets. It's the most comprehensive Rockets podcast. It's the best Rockets podcast. Thanks so much, Jackson. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, Robert. Thank you for having me on the show, man. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.